Welcome to From Russia with Blood, your source of gruesome, highly disturbing, and unbelievable but true crime stories from behind the Soviet curtain. Join our investigation as we go into the shadows to cast light on the nightmarish darkness of the Soviet past, if you dare. The episode you are about to hear contains material of an explicit sexual and criminal nature that some listeners may find extremely disturbing. This podcast is not suitable for minors. Please proceed at your own discretion. This tragedy happened in a small village some 30 miles from Leningrad. It has a rather unusual name, even to the Russian ear, Aropakuzi. These days you can buy a cottage and a piece of land there and enjoy the abundance of mineral springs in the vicinity. There used to be numerous quarries not far from the village, started when Peter the Great needed stone to build St. Petersburg, renamed Leningrad in the Soviet Union as well as all the palaces and towns surrounding Peter's new capital city. Today, the quarries form an interesting network of catacombs, very popular with amateur speleologists. The locals used the catacombs as bomb shelters during World War II. In the mid-1970s, this was just a typical village. There was a state-owned collective farm there, producing dairy products and providing jobs to the locals. There was a shop, a community center, and the administrative building of the collective farm. The police station and medical facilities and other elements of civilization were in a bigger village several miles away. This one was too small to be considered as an independent administrative unit. When not at work, the older generation were busy doing household chores and looking after their private gardens and livestock, a good way to survive the lack of products in the little village shop. It was also a way to help relatives living in cities with food and preserves and barter them for some consumer goods available in city shops. Selling one's own produce in the market also helped to earn some cash. The younger generation kept busy too, fixing their scooters or motorbikes if one could afford them, riding them when they were roadworthy, racing wildly along the main and only street with their smiling girlfriends on the back seat, going to the community center once a month when the mobile movie service brought a film to show. Occasionally, they turned the community center into a youth disco. An enthusiast with a cassette recorder hooked to a couple of speakers played his collection, while the audience shifted more or less in time with the songs and got drunk and got into fights. Vyacheslav, which, to the best of our knowledge, was his real name, 
was a 50-year-old assistant vet who worked at the collective farm. His education consisted of only seven years of primary school, but he was considered something of an intellectual in the village. As such, he subscribed to Aganyok, the Soviet weekly illustrated magazine featuring news, culture, sports, and lifestyle printed in color on glossy paper. The majority of the local population favored the newspaper Soviet Sport because the sports scores were easier to understand than feature articles and because the cheap paper of the newspaper could always be used as toilet paper as opposed to the glossy paper of the magazine. Toilet paper was hard to come by in the USSR. Vyacheslav also preferred to watch International Panorama, a political talk show, and Vremya, Time, the main Soviet nightly news program, rather than Soviet detective shows or folk music concerts on TV. Whenever there was a discussion of current events, he never said, as the rest of his neighbors would, oh, but those shitheads, you know. Instead, he would give a precise factual comment. The aggressive policy of NATO leads to... Vyacheslav lived alone. He had always lived alone, never married, never had a girlfriend. He was a quiet man. He quietly made moonshine and quietly sold it. Marina was his cousin, very far removed. She would often come to his place for moonshine. Her parents would give her three rubles and an empty pickle jar, and off she went to see the old man. Fifty years is very old for a fifteen-year-old girl. Vyacheslav always gave her a small glass of moonshine and a pickle or some sauerkraut, and the girl would exhale, gulp down her shot, shake her body just once, take a bite and ask, Uncle, not to tell. Don't you worry, little girl, he would reply. Marina really liked her Uncle Vyacheslav, and he liked her. Sometimes she would visit Vyacheslav with her boyfriend, Grisha, a tractor driver at the collective farm, and then both of them would get a glass each. Uncle did not mind. Besides, Grisha was 18 and was expecting his draft notice any day now, so why not let the boy have some fun while he could? Eventually, the little square-shaped piece of paper with a big round stamp arrived, and Grisha spent his last night driving his tractor through the village, Marina at his side, listening to his black market ABBA tape while his friends accompanied him on their scooters and motorbikes, each singing their own song with frequent stops for a drink. Next morning, a very hungover Grisha got on the bus that collected the conscripts from the neighboring villages, and in the evening, a very sad Marina came to visit her quiet uncle. Don't you worry, little girl. He'll come back in two years. In the meantime, you'll finish school. Two years is nothing. Remember your elder sister? She waited for her boyfriend for five years while he was in prison. Vyacheslav tried to comfort the girl. Marina, 
tears flowing from her eyes, explained, I'm not waiting for Grisha. I don't even like him. His breath stinks. Besides, he slept with Zoika, who lives by the shop, and also with three students from Leningrad who were sent here to collect potatoes. No, that's not the problem. I haven't had my period in two months. I crave pickles all the time, and the smell of fried potatoes makes me sick. What can I do? I'm pregnant. I can't go to a doctor. Besides, my parents would simply kill me if I told them. Indeed, she couldn't see a doctor as she hadn't yet come of age. So the father, Grisha, would be facing a 15-year spell in prison. The quiet uncle gave her a glass of his pervach, that potent cloudy moonshine you get after just the first stage of distillation, a pickle, and told her not to worry. He really had a soft spot for the girl. He went into the next room and came back with a book and a bag. The book he had found in a suburban train on his way from the market. It was a reference on surgical gynecology. The bag was a vet's medical kit, very similar to a physician's bag, just the instruments were bigger. Actually, the bag had belonged to the collective farm vet, but a month ago he had a very unhappy accident at work. It was not work-related. The vet had been on a real bender and ended up drinking himself into a severe state of the shakes and an explosive case of the DTs. Vyacheslav, helped by the women working at the farm where the vet had his practice, restrained the vet, took him to the administrative building and called an ambulance. As the vet was a notorious alcoholic, he was sent to a special institution where they treated alcoholics with abstinence, medicine, and physical labor. The minimum term of stay there was 12 months. They had another glass of pervach. Marina was already drunk on the moonshine and started shouting that she was going to hang herself from an apple tree or jump in the nearest well. Vyacheslav poured her another glass and gave her the reference book to look at the pictures and calm herself. He took the instruments from the bag, put them into a bucket, filled it with water, and put the bucket on the gas ring to boil. The bag also contained a bottle of bovine vomiting agent, a bottle of iodine, and another one of Novocaine a local anesthetic. Vyacheslav was not sure how a vomiting agent could help with an abortion, so he put that aside, but prepared the two other bottles. The water on the small gas ring would not boil, so he took the bucket outside and quickly boiled it in the yard using two blowtorches, which he normally used to burn the bristles off freshly slaughtered pigs. He came back into the room, poured another glass for Marina, and had two more for himself. Dutch courage. He took out an oilcloth on which he normally butchered the pigs, put it on a table, placed a clean sheet on it, and even ironed the sheet to sterilize it, as he later told the detectives. 
He placed the medical instruments on a Chinese towel with bright, happy birds and surveyed his surgery. Everything seemed ready. He and the girl had one more glass of pervach, and then he told Marina to pull up her skirt, take off her panties, lie down on the table, and spread her legs. A completely wasted Marina was only too happy to oblige. What Vyacheslav saw presented the biggest challenge in his life. The 50-year-old assistant vet was a virgin. He had never seen a naked woman in his entire life. He simply did not know how female genitalia work. He consulted the reference book, but what he saw between the girl's legs did not correspond to the drawings. The two big folds must be labia majora, which means that the clitoris is hidden somewhere in the folds of flesh. Okay, then about an inch and a half below would be the urethra opening, the pee hole. Yet he could not see any hole. There were just folds of flesh with little curly hairs around. He moved his finger around and asked the girl if it hurt. It didn't. Well, the hair at least comforted the amateur gynecologist. His own hair down there looked similar. Marina, do you pee from here? Yes, uncle, there's a hole for pissing there. Vyacheslav pushed his finger against the folds of flesh and suddenly the whole finger dived inside the girl. So, if this is the pee hole, then the vagina must be below. He took out the finger washed it with soap in a basin with cold water, and kept looking. There was just one more hole available. So that, according to the assistant vet, was the vaginal opening. It simply did not occur to him that women also have an anus and have bowel movements. No, of course he was aware that women also do number two, he just was not sure where from. After the first examination of the patient was over, Vyacheslav poured another shot for himself and the girl and told her he was thinking the whole operation would not take more than three minutes. He took the veterinarian syringe, a huge cylinder with two O-shaped handles, and filled it with Novocaine. It took a lot of medicine to fill the syringe, but Vyacheslav thought it was just for the better, and he gave Marina several injections around her anus. Now they had to wait for the anesthetic to take effect. He told the girl to get down and sit on a simple stool. He had a cigarette, and they both had yet another shot, and when Marina told him she could no longer feel her bottom, he told her to get back up on the table. He opened the iodine bottle and profusely applied the liquid around the girl's anus. Then he took a curette designed for cows. A curette is a scoop-shaped surgical instrument which is used to remove tissue. Needless to say, the ones used for humans are significantly smaller than those used for cattle he inserted the curette into the girl's anus and started scooping tissue out. 
Pieces of mucous membrane and of intestinal wall quickly fell out from the girl and made a pile on the sheet that immediately became red with blood. Eventually the curette started to come out empty and nothing but blood spilled out from the girl. Vyacheslav had finished his job. Marina lay on the table moaning. Vyacheslav helped her to get up and told her to put her panties on. She did so and immediately felt they were getting very wet, but for some reason on the back side. Her uncle gave her one last shot for the road and told her that her secret was safe with him. The girl went home, holding on to the low wooden fence, but after a hundred or so yards fell down and died. The assistant vet had torn out a significant part of her rectum. A body cannot survive such trauma. You have been listening to an episode of From Russia with Blood. It has been carefully researched and produced for you by the Hamovniki brothers. No matter how you found us or what interests brought you here, we're grateful to you for giving us your time. And please keep listening. From Russia with Blood is entirely listener-supported. Go to coffee.com forward slash FWRB, that's ko-fi.com forward slash FWRB for more information. Contributors get exclusive access to episode scripts and extras, including Hamovniki Zastalon, informal reflections, conversations, and insights into the culture of the times. You can follow From Russia with Blood on your preferred podcast platform for more unbelievably gruesome and previously unknown stories of true crime from behind the Soviet curtain.